Greetings and salutations from Times Square, crossroads of the world. This is the Muni Lowdown, produced by DebtWire Municipals, where we talk about this week's most interesting stories in the municipal bond market. And I am your host, Young Lim, desk editor at DebtWire Municipals. Good morning, everybody. Today is Wednesday, May 5th, Cinco de Mayo. And welcome to the Muni Lowdown, the podcast produced by DebtWire Municipals. My name is Young Lim host of the podcast. And today we have our senior reporter, Caitlin David from Chicago, Illinois. Caitlin, welcome back. Good morning, Young. Thanks for having me. Sure. Always a pleasure. So today we're going to be talking about two of your stories you wrote recently, one on tobacco bonds and one on Flint, Michigan. And let's start with the Flint, Michigan uh, story. And it's a major story in Miniland. It's something that has been going on since, I think, 2014. And you're going to talk about the poison water crisis. The city itself doesn't, I believe the city is in Genesee County in Michigan, if I'm not yes. mistaken. And the city still doesn't have completely safe drinking water. So tell, tell us what's the latest that's going on there. Well, the latest that happened last week is the a state board, which is called the Mich- Michigan Strategic Fund, approved the issuance of up to $700 million of private activity bonds. And that's going to be um, used to finance a master settlement agreement that the mm-hmm. state reached in uh, last August with a bunch of, with a lot of um a lot of the plaintiffs, a lot of the residents, and the city's also involved, as well as a couple other entities. Um, it's a $641 million settlement. The state is going to pay for the bulk of that, about $600 million of it, with these with these bonds, although I'll say something about that in a second. Mm-hmm. And um, so that was kind of the final step, that Michigan Strategic Fund, which is going to act as the issuer, that was kind of the final step in this long process. They In last December, the state legislature approved the issuance of the bonds and the um, and a judge in January, on January 22nd, approved the master set, gave preliminary approval to the master settlement agreement. And then under that agreement, the bonds should be issued within 180 days. Now, when I talked to the state last week, they didn't have any details on timing. So we still don't know anything about that. But on the structure side, there'll be, they're not going to be um, G, they're not going to be general obligations of the state. It's going to be appropriation bonds. The the state is going to um, appropriate $35 million a year for 30 years to pay off its piece of the settlement. And City and Seabird are going to be the underwriters when and if it comes. And the interesting thing, though, about it is that last week, and I just talked to these guys yesterday about it, the, chair, the Republican chair of the House Appropriations Committee wants the state to not borrow. He wants the state to actually pay it off in one big chunk. It, it's like, like I said, that 600 million. So he put in, they're, they're crafting a COVID supplemental budget bill, you know, how to spend that COVID money. And, and there's a provision in there that would have the state actually pay off that chunk for 595 million from state general, uh, general fund money. And that bill passed the House committee. It's going to go to the House for a full vote. Like I said, it's that big chunk. It's a giant bill, but it does have that little provision in there. And so we might end up seeing something if that has some legs. 
And I, I talked to him yesterday about it. It sounds like, you know, the Senate would have to do and then it'd have to be reconciled, the whole typical usual process, and then Governor Whitmer would have to sign off it, sign off on it. But if it did actually end up um, having some legs in passing, then the state wouldn't. They, they would you then they wouldn't do the borrowing. They would just use those, that one-time payment, which, like I said, would come from general fund revenues, however, would in some sort of flexible way possibly be offset by those COVID revenues. Interesting. Now, I know with this situation, there's been a lot of lawsuits and criminal charges around the case. In fact, the, the former governor of Michigan, Rick Snyder, has been criminally charged in the case. So for, for us, Amila, it's, it's notable that underwriters of the deal that you're mentioning that that played a key role in, the, in this debacle are also facing a lawsuit. Let's, can you discuss a little bit more, more about that? Yeah, on the underwriter side, that's a, a group of Flint residents last year, last October, sued the underwriters um, who were J.P. Morgan, Wells Fargo, and Stiefel, Nicholas. And they sued them over the um, 214 bond financing that financed the break from the Detroit water and sewer system that Flint used to get its water from. And if just, you know, as you recall, but, and not to get too into the details, but in 2014, what happened was Flint disconnect, um, unconnected from the Detroit system and temporarily connected to the Flint River using its own Flint water treatment system to, you know, clean the water, which it didn't actually do to treat the water, which is where the failure was. While they waited to connect to this brand new water system, the Karangandi, Karen Gandhi. Karen Gandhi, yes. It's Indian, <laughs> I believe it's an Indian term for lake. <laughs> okay. Um, water system, I should know how to pronounce that. But um, you never know how much you are learn from reading until and don't hear it pronounced until you try to say exactly. it. Exactly. And so that was, and that was where the, pro, that temporary, while they waited for that, that temporary use of the Flint River is where the problem came in. So that 214 bond deal, which is 220 million, uh, which financed the break, they sued over that saying that the underwriters should have known that the Flint River treatment plant wasn't ready to produce safe water. The city shouldn't have been able to switch water sources and the, and the bankers bear some responsibility for that. So it's kind of interesting. We're definitely keeping an eye on it. Um, and so, so is the whole securities industry. Last week, or maybe two weeks ago, SIFMA weighed in and because the banks have filed a motion to dismiss and SIFMA weighed in with an amicus uh, supporting the bank's motion to dismiss. And they're arguing the banks can't be liable for the bond issuers' actions. And if they are, it would be, you know, quote unquote, catastrophic for the municipal bond market. Right. Because you know, and, and this is echoing the bank's own argument and its motion that federal security law preempts liability um, for for um, for what the issuers end up doing with the proceeds. So that's something that we're keeping an eye on. L the latest was that SIFMA filed that amicus and, and the judge has not ruled. And that's in federal court, by the way, and the judge has not yet ruled on the on the motion to dismiss. Um, and then, like you mentioned, Snyder and a couple of the emergency managers, because at the time, if people remember, Flint was under emergency, it was under state receivership. So that's mm -hmm. why the state bears this responsibility that was moved to cost to save money. Um, a couple of the emergency managers and, and Snyder face charges. And there's a bunch of other lawsuits. There's a bellwether hearing that's set in June for a lot of the other litigation. And then there's a July hearing set on this master settlement agreement. So there's a lot kind of still that's happening in the works. I was going to say that's, a, that's an important part to note about uh, SIFMA, the uh, amicus uh, filing they did. That, that, would, that would un 
I would open up a Pandora's box if, you know, if the suit was, was to go through and basically the underwriters were liable. Yeah. I mean, I think that they, uh, you know, I have some notes in front of me from the from the motion to dismiss. And, and one of it's, a, you know, a quote from it is, under the plaintiff's theory, every underwriting is a potential conspiracy and bond underwriters may be liable for any injury caused by the use of the proceeds. So yeah, like you say, it could, but who knows, you know, this is a, a this is a unique case. It's setting a lot of, um, you know, it's it's got a lot of ripple effects. So, you know, we'll have to see kind of what the judge thinks. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, and, just to mention, on a side note, we have a parallel story that your colleague is writing about, uh, Kathy O'Donnell, in Newark, about their lead water, uh, the, the lead level in their water. Because it also happened around the same time. The Flint happened in 2014. The Newark case started in 2016. And um, in that case, I think right now that both parties have reached a settlement, but major stuff going on there as well. So that's something we also cover. Yeah, and I mean, I think that... You know, President Biden's new infrastructure plan includes a lot of money for to replace all lead pipes and service lines in the country. Yeah, there's a lot of cities like Chicago, where I live, has I think the most in the country. So I think that Flint has you know these kind of ramifications because who knows if that there we would see that kind of focus on replacing all the lead pipes if Flint hadn't happened, or you know of New York. So. You know, I think that that's a big ramification that Flint has had. Yeah, definitely. And uh, Michigan went through a lot of stuff with the Detroit bankruptcy and stuff like that. So Michigan has gone through a lot in the last two decades, definitely. So let's move on to your other story. And you were you were mentioning something called the Master Settlement Agreement. And this other story is about tobacco bonds. And also there's a Master Settlement Agreement that happened back in 1998. And... So tobacco bonds in general, which is one of the largest and most liquid parts of the high yield mini market right after Puerto Rico. And so last week, the FDA made a move that I believe bondholders have been watching very closely. Tell us about that announcement. Well, they announced last week that they're going to ban, they're going to make a move to ban menthol. I think they're going to introduce regulations over the next year to do that. This has been something they've been talking about for a while and that bondholders have been watching for a while. The deadline that they faced was last week. There was a a petition filed in 2013 asking the FDA to do this. The FDA hadn't made any moves over the years, although they kind of discussed it. And then last year, a lawsuit was filed asking you know, saying that they need to make a decision on that petition. So that was what happened last week. They faced that April 29th deadline for it. And then they announced that they were going to do it. You mentioned the master settlement agreement. That's the 1998 agreement between the major tobacco companies and almost all the states and territories in DC. And it um, under which they, the tobacco companies make payments for all time to the states and those are based on consumption. This should have a big impact on the market because menthol, which I didn't realize that menthol accounts for almost a third of all cigarettes. Yeah, I didn't know that either. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. And so if they ban it, it's going to be a big deal. They're also banning cigars, but that's like, you know, probably nominal impact. And it certainly doesn't affect the MSA because the MSA is only based on the quote unquote sticks, Mm -hmm. the actual cigarettes. So that's why like e-cigarettes and these other things don't don't affect it, although it does affect it because anything that affects consumption, like a ban on menthol or, or the 
growth of popularity of e-cigarettes is going to affect these right. these payments, which is what backs the bonds. And I think I, I you know I don't know exact numbers, but I think there's about 20 billion of tobacco bonds outstanding. Most of it, as you said, high yield, though some of it's backed by state appropriation backup, so it's a little bit higher rated. So then tell us overall how the muni market reacted to all this. Well, cigarette prices did weaken for sh- I mean, tobacco bond prices, not cigarette prices, tobacco <laughs> bond prices <laughs> definitely weakened. I saw, you know, from sort of looking around, I, you know, and from talking to people, it looks like maybe from 40 basis points to 20. And then I kind of saw maybe 20 basis points, 30 basis points. There wasn't a huge reaction, but definitely we saw a weakening in bond prices. And so that's sort of interesting. I mean, you know, I don't know what that means. I don't know, you know, if that's going to kind of continue. I think that the FDA, like I said, they're going to do this over a period of year, a, a year. So we'll have to go back and be talking to bondholders and talking about what they think is going to is going to be, you know, be the long term impact on the market. Whether or not this is going to already, most rating agencies and and the own tobacco people have their consumption declines built in about 4%, 4.5%, for example, I think as S&P. Jeffries put out a research report recently saying that they think that there could be no smoking at all within like a generation. Nobody wow. at all would smoke. Wow. So already everybody's got their consumption declines built in, mm-hmm. but this obviously will have like a material impact at some point, And we definitely saw it. There wasn't a huge reaction, but we definitely saw some weakening in bond prices and the S&P tobacco, uh, tobacco muni index also, you know, we saw yields really widen to where they are right now from where they were in mid-April. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, that's something we'll have to monitor. Maybe things, some of this will be built into pricing in the future. Who knows for other deals, but we shall see. Yeah. All right. Well, Caitlin, again, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much for your time today, for your work on the Flint water crisis and tobacco bonds. And we hope to talk to you again. Okay. Thank you. All right. And that's our show for today. Many thanks to Caitlin David our senior reporter in Chicago, Illinois. Uh, and always, thanks to our listeners out there who tune in week after week to the latest on distressed mini debt on the mean lowdown produced by DebtWire Municipals. Take care, everybody. See you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to the mini lowdown with me, your host, Young Lim. If you want to know more, subscribe to DebtWire.com and follow us on social media. Please leave comments, rate, like, and share. Join us next week when we talk about the latest in the municipal bond market.